Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. There's work that needs to be done, and I just need someone good to do the work. God, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that. This is what we all tell ourselves when we decide to hire someone. But it is so much deeper than just getting a butt in the seat. Growth is the most important factor here. So we must start with the end in mind to avoid making huge hiring mistakes. Yes, you need to get the work done, but this person really needs to help your company grow. And more importantly, can your company provide the growth the person desperately wants in their career? I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win the strongest hires by sharing insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Mike Zani. He's the CEO of the Predictive Index. Mike is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Science of Dream Teams and the CEO of Predictive Index, which is the leader in talent optimization. Prior to Predictive Index, Mike served as the president of Ledco, a manufacturer of rugged computer peripherals. And it was at Ledco where Mike, a customer of Predictive Index, developed his passion for the company's vital management tools. An avid sailor, Mike began his career in marketing and sales with Vanguard Sailboats and was a coach for the 1996 U.S. Olympic sailing team. He holds a BS from Brown University and an MBA from Harvard, Mike is an expert in talent optimization hiring, which is why we wanted to bring him on the show today and makes him a perfect guest for today's topic. Mike, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Rick, it's great to be here. Thank you for the very kind introduction. It's great to have you. We're going to cover something that you and I spoke pretty passionately about, which is talent optimization and hiring for it. What is talent optimization and how to hire for it is pretty much the topic of what we're going to conquer today. And so we're going to start with I always come across this scenario with almost every founder that I meet because I work with a lot of small startups and it's always, I just need somebody to do the work. And that's always my biggest hurdle is getting to think about, okay, I get that, but you also need to hire somebody who's going to help the company to grow. Just getting somebody in right now, that's just a contractor. How do we hire within this manic mode of, I just need somebody to do the work? You reminded me of one of the athletes I coached at the, uh, at the 96 Olympics. He had a mantra about keeping their boat together. It's like, you better have time to do it right, or you better make time to do it twice. A lot of entrepreneurs, when they're in the heady 5, 10, 20 person, the revenue's coming on, they need to deliver on the work. They just need bodies, warm bodies and generalists. And that sort of works. But as soon as they try and add structure to that team, as they scale beyond 20, then it all falls apart and they have to do it again. Those warm bodies and not always warm aren't just aren't cutting it. So it's a classic problem. I was just talking to a founder of a company yesterday and he was saying, you know, he was telling me his war stories of how he's had X amount of people that he's brought on and every single person that he brought on from a co-founder all the way up to the last person he just got rid of. It was him talking to people and really getting them excited about the opportunity, but they all fell short on exactly what his expectations were and what they really wanted to do. Did he really articulate his expectations? Were they the right expectations? And 
was he aiming at the right target at the time? A lot of those founders don't even know yet. Well, a lot of times too, we end up taking what we can get as opposed to going after and getting what we need. It's very true, but I think you get even a totally switched on founder, you know, so someone who's hiring for the skills for that job. Are they taking that higher model to the next level that says, what's the team's strategy? Who else is on the team? What is the work that that team needs to do? And what are the gaps on that team? It's rare that people are taking not just hey, I've got client success. Here's the criteria for the client success job. You're like, well, what else do you need? It's not just the one job. It's how do you fit into the bigger panoply of what you're trying to build? Yeah, that's the conversation I feel is not had, which is, okay, if I've got other people on the team, what type of person do we need here? Who's going to fit in here? What's the avatar of the right person that we bring on board? This gets to the giant missing third leg of the stool. Every CEO has a strategy, some good, some bad. Most have a one-to-year financial plan to support that strategy. But tragically few actually have a talent strategy that's any more than an Excel worksheet with, <laughs> hey, we're going to hire five people in Q1. Yeah. And you're like, well, what kind of people are you going to hire? How much are you going to pay them? Where are you going to look for them? Do you have a system to train and develop so you can hire early career? Or do you need people who've been there, done that? They don't have that third leg of the stool in a talent strategy. When you look, a modern organization is over 65% people costs on the income statement. So you look at your income statement, 65% of your expenses are people related. And it's even more on real people driven businesses like software companies. If you're not going to put a strategy to 65% of your expenses, you're a fool. I'm so glad you said that. And I'm not trying to throw shade at people who aren't doing it, but I'm trying to whack them in the head and say, you need not just kind of sort of talent strategy. You need a world-class talent strategy. And you have to know where you are, where you're going, the strategy, what your team's good at, what they're not, what are the gaps, can you stretch, can you train and develop? And that's what a lot of people are missing. If we started to think of it like, hey, look at every employee that I hire, the cost of that is $2 million to my company. If we started to get that mindset in their brain that if I make a bad hire, this is going to cost me $2 million. That might really put that need to learn or put together a talent strategy in place. That's how much it costs them. Certainly for mission critical jobs, you're hiring head of sales, you're hiring head of product development, depending on product, head of technology. You get those wrong. You're right. Those numbers are six figures and north. And some people try and put safety nets in place. People are talking about hire fast, fire faster, or some articulation like that. In Europe, they have this really great process. Companies like Germany, they have closer to lifetime employment. You hire someone, you keep them for over six months, you have a responsibility for them for what is a long time so that they do this hard gating. They're like at 5.9 months. You're like, do we want this person? Would we hire them again? All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find a link to order your copy of Healing Career Wounds, which is your startup secret weapon to winning the strongest hires. Our guest today is Mike Zani. He's the CEO of the Predictive Index. And we're discussing how to hire for optimizing your talent. And this is something that you really need to start planning before you even make a hire or interview anybody. Let's talk about how we solve this problem, Mike. What would be the steps that you would take in order for somebody to really understand or be able to deploy this mindset into their organization. Talent optimization is, is a new discipline that we've got to get people to change the way they think about talent in their organization. Most people are very old school. It's an afterthought. I talked to a CEO. The first question I asked them, who's the highest ranking person on your talent side of the business? 
and you learn something. How do they refer to talent? It's like, oh yeah, we've got you know a director of HR. Where do they report to? Oh, they report to the CFO. You're not taking this seriously. If we were a sports team, the two most important people you hire when you own a sports team, the manager who manages day to day, but also the head of player operations, who's recruiting the talent. And there's no way you don't know who those people are and you put so much on that. Those people report directly to you you hold them accountable for a world-class job. So when I talk to a CEO who's not taking talent seriously, it starts there. Oh yeah, 100%. And you know what? I will tell you just from my experience, I know I have a lot of friends who are in HR. They don't really want to deal with talent acquisition. They want to do their HR work. It gets kind of shoved off to them and they're the person who's responsible for it. What's interesting here is the CEO knows, they know some critical things. You know, do you have great gross margins? Can you pay a ton of money? Are you in healthcare? Are you in software? You got amazing gross margins growing like crazy and you can afford the best and the brightest versus, you know, you're working in a manufacturer with 28% gross margins and you're selling mostly through Amazon, which is pretty price sensitive. You're like, man, we cannot. So it is like sport. You're like, are you a a market team like the Yankees and the Dodgers, and you're trying to, you can spend any amount for the best of the best of the best hitter, or are you sort of, you need to optimize your talent given your situation. And no one knows that like the C-suite. It's yeah. got to be there. Yeah. It's got to be optimized around what are you trying to do? What game can you afford to play and get the best team on that field that you possibly can? So if I'm hearing you correctly, my takeaway from this so far is that if you're the founder of the company or you're the person leading the company, you need to take ownership of this. It's not something you just sweep under the table and hand off to somebody else. Yeah, if it's not reporting up through you, it's a huge mistake. If you don't have anybody, it is you by default. You're the one who's got to do it. And you're the chief cultural officer, you're the chief talent officer, you're the chief people officer. You got to put a world-class team on the field. Very true. So walk me through your strategy that we would have the audience set up. What's the work that you're really trying to do? I mentioned it broadly saying, hey, I'm a manufacturer with 28% gross margins, or I'm a software company with great gross margins. You got to understand the work that needs to get done. When you come up with a world-class talent strategy, you need to understand not only the work that you're trying to do, but who are the current players that you have? Are they a good fit for the work that needs to be done? Is it a homogenous team? Is it a heterogeneous team? Where are the gaps? Can you promote from within to get those gaps? Do you need to go outside of your company to, to fill those gaps? Are you going to make a big spend? And then is that person going to be a good fit for that team? These are the discussions that you need to do. And there are tools, scientifically vetted tools that can help you get there. Not everyone always leans into them at the get-go. But that is the challenge. When you started this and put warm bodies and warm seats, that's a recipe for disaster. It's really about taking a more holistic approach to this. And it does start with understanding what you have. And key to that is performance. What is the performance of your current team? Do you have a system to understand, are they doing a good job or are they not? And when you get someone new, how do they look 30, 60, 90 days? So you don't make the mistake that they prevent in Germany by saying, hey, at 5.9 months, I'm sorry, you're not a great fit. I'm going to try again versus live with you forever. Yeah. So it seems to me that we've got three different elements that we want to plug in here. We have like a top of funnel strategy, a mid funnel strategy, and then maybe a bottom funnel strategy or something that has to do with how we post hires, right? That's a great way of looking at it. I mean, first and foremost, if you're going to create a world-class hiring system using talent optimization, you need to create a learning model. Developing a world-class hiring system is about having systems and processes. Don't get overly complicated at the beginning, but at least 
get maniacal about learning from what you currently are doing and what's working and what's not. And like you said, it does start with a little bit of a top of funnel strategy. You need to have a clear mission for the company. You need to have or develop a hiring brand that really attracts top of funnel talent. If you've got no one applying, it's going to be miserable. And you also want a strong enough culture that is clear enough that when people come to visit you or even through remote, that they're like, that's a culture I want to be a part of. Or even more importantly, no, no, I don't want to work here. You'd like yeah. to reject. That's the best thing. You want people who self-select out because it just saves you a lot of time. I would also add to that, like you should really think about setting up a really strong referral-based program and having an active campaign of recruiting people who are cross-industry or maybe even from your competitors. It doesn't take a lot of time. If you just spend an hour a week cultivating those two funnels, that'll produce a lot of talent for you. We pay five and $10,000 depending on the position for our internal referrals. But because we have a performance system, we only make that payment at six months. So you can't just get a live body. You need to get a good fit. You might say, well, how do you measure that? And you said, we put really specific criteria about what the first six months looks like. Say, hey, you get paid 10 grand if this person meets the criteria at six months. We actually have one individual who did it like 15 times in one year. I mean, they were making more than our recruiters doing part-time recruiting, <laughs> harvesting their own personal networks. They were obviously someone who had a good enough personal network that they could do that. That's a super connector. You got to keep that person on board. You brought up top of funnel, developing that top of funnel, however you do it, you know, the front end. So you, you have a look at a lot of candidates. You're a desirable destination for people because of brand. And then the bottom of funnel, when you're starting to make a decision from, this is when you're making a go, no, go decision on someone. Have you developed the hiring systems you need. Obviously, this might be a little self-serving, but strong assessment systems, behavioral, cognitive analytics to make sure that you're using science. You know, the number one and number two predictor of workplace performance are cognitive fit and behavioral fit. And then are, do you have a, a healthy structured interviewing process that learns? And so that everyone's not asking the same questions. Some people are asking culture questions. Some are asking skill questions. Other are asking management questions. And all of them are asking the same question, which would be, where do you want to be in five years? Or why do you want to work here? Someone needs to vet that one hard. I would say you have five people interviewing. I wouldn't have five people ask that same question. But that's what happens because I agree with you. And this is kind of like the mid-funnel piece that I love. So having them structured and timed and take it a step further and just assign the questions to people. Let's make it easy on our interviewers as well so that they can actually have a list of questions. These are the ones you're responsible for. It doesn't take much to organize that. We've started recording our interviews so people can actually watch what people are doing, how they're asking questions, how they're grading those questions. And we actually grade interviewers. And if you're not a good interviewer, say some of your yeses didn't make it at six months and some of your no's that still got hired anyway turned out to be great. You're asked not to stay in our <laughs> interview process. And then we cultivate our best talent there you go. for interviewing. Just having a structured interview too, it's especially challenging for the people on the other end. And you mentioned self-selecting out. So if you're trying to elevate your performance level of the people you bring on board, you'll get those people to lean in because they're being challenged by the interview and they're not answering the same questions that they've heard over and over and over again at every other interview they've been to. It's great when someone bows out of the process, saves you some time. It might sting if they were really your best person. But I will say that when you have three or four candidates who are all dying to work for you because you've done a nice job and they all want to lean in because that's when you know your top of funnel and your 
as you call it, mid-funnel, but you get to the bottom, you make that offer that it's really working. You've sold the company appropriately. They want to work there. They feel the culture. They feel the energy. That's when you know you're getting close. The job's really not done there either. True. You still have to get them to accept the offer. You've got to be competitive, clearly. Get them to accept the offer. Hopefully, you're not surprised too often. And actually, with the speed that people are being given offers now, we've really tried to compress our time and not let people wait because people are getting plucked really fast. Oh, but yeah. I really wanted to get to the post-hire strategy. Yeah. Do you have strong benchmarks for that person's success? Do you have a performance system to measure 30, 60, 90 days? Do you have a learning and development system in your company that can take candidates that might have had gaps that you made an offer to and you, you've got ways to fill those gaps? Or if someone has 60, 90 days in, they're mostly there, but there's a couple of things, maybe even annoying things that you're trying to shave off a rough spot or fill a gap in their game. You know, that's a really important piece too. And I think the talent optimized companies have the investment in the learning and development system that they need. As a former coach, I make this time component, like private equity and venture back companies are freakish about time. And it's because of return on investment. They want things to happen now, not tomorrow. Yesterday's better. And that time component makes them want to go out and win right away. Go get the best and brightest. I think there are some companies that take a longer view who will invest in learning and development. Yes, sometimes you have to go get the best and brightest, go spend $100,000 for retained search. Sometimes you have to do that. But a lot of times you need to create a hiring system that can take early career emergent candidates and you need a company that can train and develop world-class talent because you know the world-class sports teams that win year in and year out consistently. Maybe not the Super Bowl every year, but they're kind of always competitive. They develop their farm system. They develop their training. And Great companies do this too. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. Can we go ahead and talk a little bit about the benchmarks? Because this is something I feel like a lot of companies fail. I call them performance metrics. If you put performance metrics into your job description and you just build them from the time you create the job and provide that roadmap, what's the worst thing that could happen in investing a couple of hours putting together benchmarks or performance metrics? You just got it. Most people don't invest the time. It's the time up front. You take the couple hours. It's getting the hiring manager and the manager lined up. They're often the same person, but lined up on what those are. The peers should know what they are because they're already being held accountable to them. It should be in the job description. It should be measurable. Hopefully, if there's a variable piece of compensation, the candidate knows what they are and are working to it. And on your 30, 60, 90 day check-ins, you're talking about how you're doing according to those things. And it's not some, hey, you know, it seems like you're struggling. You're like, no, you're doing this really well. Here's a couple of identified gaps. Here's something that we really think could be a problem if it persists. And you talk about it very specifically and you try and correct it. I mean, some things aren't correctable, things like ethical breaches, but yeah. most are, most are. Yeah, exactly. Most business problems that you have are people problems in disguise, right? You're the wrong person on the boat. Thank you for using a boat analogy. <laughs> I like boats too. I'm a boat guy too. So I'm right there with you. And then taking it a step further, as you just said, you're just building accountabilities and you're just make sure that you have those meetings with people and discuss it 30, 60, 90 days. That's again, part of it. I said feedback loops in the hiring system, you know, in your onboarding system, I think you need to make sure that you have the same communication because you don't want the hiring manager saying one thing, human resources saying another, and the person's twisted up and confused. You need a really good system for that first six months of onboarding. And at six months, you should know. I mean, it's past time. You should really know at three months, but at, at six months, you're making a decision whether this is correctable or not. Or if you've got a world-class, you're like, we got not only who we wanted, but someone who's got range. 
I call it buoyancy. You know, do they have a lot of job buoyancy? Are they going to really rise in the organization? And that's what you're trying to hire for. And every company should be hiring for buoyancy. I love that. Shoot, Mike, we're getting pretty close on time. What would be two or three key takeaways that you can give the audience that uh, they can plug into the business today? The post-hire system to really make sure that when you do make a mistake and you're still going to make them, even world-class companies today are still only getting it right 80, maybe 90% of the time, but I think they're fudging their numbers that they're getting it 90%. So you need a post-hire system to catch when you're not getting it right. And that doesn't always mean get rid of them. Sometimes it does, but really to, to intervene, train and develop. And if you've got that, then you're able to take more risk. You're able to take more risk on the emergent candidate, the candidate without the full experience set. And ultimately, it's about having the feedback loop so that in this interview process, so you can develop a world-class hiring team. If you can do those things, you're going to be well on your way to doing it at a super high level and take a long view. It's going to take you a year or two to get amazing at hiring. You're not going to do it in day one. No, but you're never going to get good at it if you don't actually put some structure to it and get good practice out of it. Mike, thanks so much for your time and investment today. I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, find Predictive Index? Here's plug time for you. Yeah, uh, the predictiveindex.com. There's a lot of, especially slash learn. You can learn uh, a ton about talent optimization and there's even certification around it. A lot of great free content that we do. We've got over 700 certified partners and a lot of that content is for them. So you can take it to the point of like being a consultant in it. For me personally, the science of dream teams, dreamteams.io is the book's website. You can read a sample chapter, take some assessments if you'd like, snack on the book, see if you actually want to invest in either the audio book or the hard copy. There's a chapter on hiring where we maybe I go a little slower than we did here and we didn't have the audio problems. <laughs> well, luckily for the magic of Hollywood, we have a really good audio editor who can just chop all that stuff up. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, Andrea Bellin, Brian Colburn, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. Uh, we welcome your feedback after all of this show is for you. Uh, you can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher H I R E Power P O W E R Radio R A D I O dot com, or you can drop me an email at rickandstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be. Joseph Fung, he is the founder and CEO of Uvaro. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live Show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Gerard. Rick Gerard. Rick Gerard.